to be back in Hebrews today. Uh, I want to uh, I want to read the verses here. I'm just going to read them out of my Bible before I bring the uh, or before we uh, move on into the slides. Um, and uh, I want to read the Bible, and I want to talk just to, just briefly about the subject for today, uh, and then we'll move into our study of the text. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read. I hope you're already there with me. We're going to be the text for today is Hebrews eleven thirteen through sixteen. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What's um, really neat about today's um, passage is that it touches on this, this theme that we find throughout the Bible. This idea of estrangement and reconciliation. And this is throughout the Bible. You'll find it in a lot of the Old Testament stories. Um, you'll find it in the words of the prophets. And you find it picked up on in the New Testament. Uh, Paul writes about it. Peter writes about it. Even James touches on the subject. And so this idea, this theme of estrangement and reconciliation is so critical. Because it's the story of the gospel anyway. Like it's the, this is the backdrop for the gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ. Because we had been estranged from God by our sin, Christ entered in to make reconciliation for us. Entered into our cursed world. Entered into our cursed humanity. And became a curse for us so that we could be reconciled. But this this estrangement and reconciliation also kind of has a reverse effect for those who come to know the Lord. And we're going to see that through the text today. And as we look back at maybe what the author of Hebrews is talking about when he shows us the reason for our estrangement from the world. Um, I was thinking through this and uh, this whole idea of foreigners and strangers. Um, I remembered how how I kind of felt when we first went to Egypt a few years back. And I kind of thought it was going to be like this. I kind of thought it would be like I would finally understand the perspective of the people that I meet who come here from other places. I thought, I'm going to understand their perspective. Uh, But the truth is that I didn't, right? When we were there in Egypt, sometimes if I was with the kids and Ashley, people would want to take pictures of our our kids because our kids look so much different than theirs. Um, We don't like treat celebrity, we don't uh, treat foreigners like celebrities in this country, right? People actually have their, their misconceptions taken away when they get here. People from other countries often assume that when you get here, you know, you've just arrived, you've got your golden ticket, you're going to be welcomed in on the red carpet, and then they get here and their, their expectations are woefully unmet. Um, and so I, I thought I was going to understand what they felt like, and, and the truth was I didn't. Um, and, and I did feel in a, in a lot of ways like a foreigner, like I didn't belong, like I was among people that I couldn't somehow relate to. As I learned the language, I started relating to people better, right? 
And I, re- I remember there was this one particular conversation where probably six or eight months into school, I was really catching up with the language. I was really doing a good job and getting in well with people. And then I had a conversation with a, a male teacher. And he's like, we need to have a class one day on swearing and cursing. And that way you can insult people really good in the street like, you know, like Egyptians do. And it dawned on me, I might know the language and I might be understanding the culture, but we're from two different worlds. We don't belong to the same place. We don't, we don't have the same set of ideals. We don't have the same set of uh, motivations. We don't have the same goals. Because it's more than about what country you're from. It's about, it's about who is living in your heart and where do your loyalties lie. This idea of estrangement and reconciliation is not... I, mean, I think the, the, we have this analogous picture of the foreigner or the wanderer. But they're just analogies, right? Meant to lead us into the real truth. And the real truth is found in our relationship with God. That's the real estrangement that we need to deal with. And the real reconciliation we need to deal with is the reconciliation that happens through a right relationship to God through submission to Jesus Christ. And that's what the author of Hebrews is doing. You know, as he looks through faith, he, I, I think what his primary goal all through the book of Hebrews is to tell this church that he loves, keep holding on to Christ. Don't go back. Don't be tempted to go back to the world. Don't be tempted to go back to Judaism. Whatever relationships you've lost, whatever estrangement you've experienced in this world and are still experiencing, hold on to the reconciliation that you have in Christ because that's ultimate reconciliation. It will estrange you from the world but it's a sign that you belong to Christ. That is the big picture for today. So as we go through this, if you don't get anything else, please get that. Reconciliation to God will mean estrangement from this world. It will mean that. So let's pray and then let's get into the text for today. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for this powerful biblical theme. Thank you so much that you Uh, have reconciled us to yourself, though we were estranged, alienated, enemies, that you, through the death and the resurrection of your Son, you made us your own. And God, I pray that we will understand this theme better and that we will have a clearer picture of the love that you have brought to us and also more realistic expectations for our lives in this world. God, use us for your glory. Father, Use me now. Help us to understand this passage together. Uh, There is only one teacher, and it's you. So teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've talked about this before, biblical faith. Uh, Faith is believing what God has revealed in in his word is absolutely reliable truth. And then living by faith is then putting that into practice. Um, And, you know, I wanted to keep this slide in here because of the passage that we're reading today, you know, he says, all those when they died, they were still living by faith. So um, we do, we see Jesus reflected in the lives of the people who live by faith, as we ought to be seeing Jesus reflected in our own lives and in the lives of each other as a church. We see the gospel preached, even as we ought to be preaching the gospel to each other, to encourage each other, to others, uh, uh, so that they can know the same hope that we have, and so that we can honor God, regardless of how they accept Uh, or don't accept the message that we preach. Uh, And then we also see in these characters, in these heroes of the faith, as it were, 
the same faith that we have. It's only one kind of faith that saves. So he says, all these people who were still living by faith, all these people were still living by faith when they died. Well, who's he referring to? Well, most, more than likely, he's talking about the people he's talking about in the last passage in, in 8 through 12 when he talked about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob, right? Because they're all inheritors of this promise, and they're all people who we see their, we see their story in Genesis, we see it unfold, we see that uh, Abraham received promises directly from God, we see that Isaac also received confirmation that that promise was coming through him as well, and we see that Jacob later also received confirmation from God that he was another recipient uh, of this promise, right? Uh, and so that Jacob, when he blesses his sons, he blesses his sons in the end of Genesis with the same sort of blessings and then more information uh, to, his future, to the future generations. And we'll see that next week when we look at a few more passages uh, in Hebrews. But these are the same guys who received that original Genesis 12 promise and generation by generation they passed it down. And future generations have hope. Well, he says they were still living by faith when they died. I love that sort of contrast, right? They were living by faith when they died. They died, and then he says, I remember living by faith, living according to the promises that they had been made. Still making decisions daily based on the promises that God had given them. He says they didn't receive the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. What's interesting, isn't it? Because we know earlier on in Hebrews, he said Abraham received what was promised because of his faith. Now, how can we have both, right? Abraham received the promises. He didn't receive the promises. What is he saying? Well, I think one thing that we can understand is that Abraham received the promises of God as in he heard the promises of God. God made promises to him, and he believed them. Uh, Abraham, uh, he received the promises of God, and yet he didn't. God brought him into the land that he was going to give to him, but Abraham didn't actually in his lifetime see those promises come to pass. It says he saw them from a distance and welcomed them from a distance. In other words, as he's looking off into the future, imagining what the future would hold. And we see this kind of, I, I wonder if we don't see this when Isaac is uh, looking off and, and meditating in the field when, um, when Abraham's servant brings his wife back. He's out there meditating in the field. I often wonder, what is he meditating on? I think the only thing he could rightly be meditating on were the promises of God that his father Abraham told him about and what that would mean for him and his, his future. But they saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And I, and I wondered if there was anything you know, a little more concrete that we could look at. And I think that we do have it in John chapter 8. Um, so if you have your Bibles open in front of you, or you can address it really quickly on, on, on your Bible app. In uh, John chapter 8, uh, and you're all familiar with this, it's when Jesus uses the most holy name of God uh, toward the end of the chapter. Um, but one thing that... that Abraham, or is that Jesus mentions Abraham's name, uh, and he says, you know, that, um, sorry, I'm looking for the verse right here in front of me and talking at the same time. I should have put a mark in there. But he says, um, and let's start in verse 48. Uh, The Jews answered Jesus. They said, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and you're demon-possessed? Jesus says, "I'm I'm not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. 
I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever obeys your word will never taste death. So it's the Pharisees and the other Jews who bring up the name of Abraham first. I was thinking it was Jesus, but it's they who bring up his name first. And they say, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, who you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. You don't know him, I know him. If I said I didn't, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him, and I obey his word. Now, this is the, this is the verse where he says, it. he says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, they point out that Abraham died, right? But Jesus says, he rejoiced at the thought of my day as he's looking off as if from a distance, don't know at this point, how much did Abraham actually know? We know how much he passed on. We have that in Genesis. But we don't know all of what Abraham understood by the time he died about the promises that were to come. And so Abraham is looking off into the distance, even as he's dying. I wonder if even while, while Ishmael and Isaac are probably there with him, we know that they buried him together, so they may have been with him in his last moments on earth. That as he lay dying and conceiving of the future... He looks off into the future in his mind's eye. Maybe he even, like Stephen, while he was being stoned to death, could see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Don't know. But we understand that he looked off into the future. He rejoiced at the Messiah's day. He was trusting in the coming Messiah to fulfill all the promises that God had made. He wasn't sitting on his deathbed going, well, we don't have an inheritance. I don't know what God meant. He's not throwing up his hands and wondering. The author of Hebrews says he's looking forward to Jesus. And John and Jesus tell us he looked forward to my day and he rejoiced. He saw it and he understood at least that much. He welcomed those things from a distance. And I think that the author of Hebrews says this for an extremely important reason. People have died in the faith. People in that first generation, many people in that first generation of believers had died because this is another generation. These are people who didn't walk with Jesus and see his earthly ministry necessarily. I mean, he says, you know, these things were delivered to us by those who were witnesses. Even he himself, the author of Hebrews, was not somebody who firsthand witnessed all these things. He was somebody who heard someone else preach. He heard the original apostles. So he's talking to a group of people who are living lives that are persecuted and have experienced persecution. They will again. Many people have turned away. And he's saying, hold on. Chances are you might die just like Abraham without actually seeing it fulfilled on this earth. But that doesn't mean that you can't see it and trust in what God has promised. welcoming it from a distance. You didn't receive, they didn't receive the promises here on earth, but the promises still came true because the one who promised is faithful. What does he say? Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. There's a connection directly between their faith and their ability to look past the fact that in this life they didn't receive 
the fullness of all the promises. And yet they admitted they were living in a place that was not their home. They were foreigners and strangers. And I told you before at the beginning that Peter picks up on this, James mentions it, Paul teaches it. Friendship with the, with the world is enmity with God. Friendship with God will mean that you find enmity in the world. Jesus said it in different ways in John, and we'll look at that in a little bit. But they understood, the fathers understood that they'd been called by God, they were following him, and they were now strangers in this world. This world was not their home. He says, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Every time I read this verse, it reminds me of C.S. Lewis' words. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and bring those up for you because I, I, I butcher quotations if I don't actually read it, which is why I have to put markers in here for the Bible verses. So C.S. Lewis, he said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And he, 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 he hits on a truth. I'm, I'm not sure I, I, in the context of his argument, I don't think I necessarily agree with him and all he was saying. But this one statement does seem to play out in the lives of all the believers that we know and all the believers that are talked about in the Word. That they were not looking forward to a fulfillment in this life. They were not looking for a home in this world. They were looking for a home in heaven with God eternally. In John chapter 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples about going away. He's, he's already predicted Peter's denial. And of course, Peter is trying to be, you know, he's like, no way, I'll never do that, right? And, and Jesus, uh, after he gives him this, you know, he says, a new command I give you, to love one another as I've loved you. And, and, and in this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Then Peter says, he, Peter's still stuck on this love. You know, he doesn't talk about love. He's like, wait a minute, where are you going? In verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I love Peter in his boldness. I love Peter in his passion to be with Jesus. And I hope that you share his passion to be with Jesus. I hope that you share his passion for a home that is heavenly and enduring and not one that's right here and right now. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. And by contrast, by comparison and contrast, people who find their fulfillment here show that they are not looking for a home that's eternal and heavenly. They show that they're satisfied with what's here and what's now. Jesus said in the beginning of 14, chapter 14 of John, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. And then, of course, he says, you know where I'm going, and Philip asks where, and he says, I'm the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And then he says, I, I just thought about it just now. And then he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Remember that theme of reconciliation and estrangement? We, we, we are able to welcome 
the things that God has promised from afar because we've been reconciled to Him through Jesus Christ. He says, if they had been thinking of that country which they had left, they would have had, they would have had opportunity to return. They didn't have to get confused by this. He's talking about the Old Testament guys, right? He's saying, if Abraham had thought about it, he'd been, con- he'd been focused on his old life in Haran or in Ur of the Chaldeans, he could have gone back. He was free to go back. And in a similar way, the, the church that was listening to his message, they were free to turn around and stop following Jesus if they wanted to. If they wanted to, to find a home in this world, they could have just said, okay, well, I'm done. And they would have shown themselves to be unbelievers, unreconciled, unregenerate, but they could have turned around. They had the opportunity. He's not saying anything weird or, you know, there's nothing, you know, nebulous about what he's saying. He's just saying, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew where they came from. They could have gone back. Even Jacob went there to get a wife. Stayed there for a little while, but he knew he had to go back to the promised land. That was the land that he had been promised. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Now, as we already said, you know, this promise in John 14 that Jesus gives to his disciples, well, that's for us too. Right? He's going to prepare a place for us. He is now. Think about that. Jesus is preparing a place for us. Right now. A heavenly one. An enduring one. I think about this all the time as I, you know, three and a half years, my wife and I have been looking for a house. And so this is something that jumps up in my mind all the time. What if we don't find a house here, right? What if we're looking for a house, we don't find it? Could be like Kevin and Sharon who were here for a long time and found their house. Could be that we never have a house. Could be that we rent from here to whenever. What kind of a home am I looking for? I think about that all the time when I'm like, oh, dang, another one fell through. But I'm not looking for a home here. He says, and this is probably the verse that I thought about least at the beginning of the week and the verse that just shocked me later in the week as I've been studying this passage. He says, God is not ashamed to be called their God, those who live by faith, those who endure by faith, those who live the life of faith and live it out. Can you imagine that? If you look at your week and how badly you have failed this week, you have tons of reason to be ashamed of yourself. I have tons of reasons to be ashamed of myself. But God, if you are living by faith, is not ashamed of you. When you share your faith, even with people who know who you were before you were a Christian, even with people who have mud to sling at you, even for the accuser, who would night and day want to accuse you before the Father. Just imagine the Father's answer. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed no matter how many times she fell. I'm not ashamed whatever his thoughts were, whatever her thoughts were, because they confessed and they they are coming to me, they have come to me through Jesus Christ my Son, and he's perfect, and they have his perfect righteousness. I'm not ashamed. Every reason... 
God has a shame to be God, God has every reason to be ashamed of us, and yet He's not because of Jesus Christ. And our faith, our enduring faith, which is a gift from God anyway, that's what makes a difference because we are continuing to trust in Him. We're enduring by trusting in Him. And that faith makes, faith makes all the difference. He, he doesn't talk in this passage about how well you have done uh, on the scale of, of morality today. He talks about the faith that God has given us. Um, I also wondered, why does he share it like this? Because his whole message has been, you know, endure, don't fall away. If you fall away, you're going you're gonna to prove that you're never even one of us. If you fall away, you don't have any expectation but a fearful judgment. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you fall away, if you turn back now, if you renounce your faith, you're, you're treading all over the sacrifice of Jesus. You're calling his blood unholy. So I don't think he meant this just as a positive, like, you know, God's not ashamed of you. But also the reverse is true. If you turn away, God will be ashamed of you. Now I don't Pull this out of a hat. I'm not just doing it by opposite here. Because Jesus used these words as well. You can find it uh, in Mark 8, 29. Uh, you can also find it in Luke chapter 9. But I'm going to go ahead and read uh, in, in Mark. Um, I'm sorry, let's start in, um, in uh, verse 34 of chapter 8. Um, Jesus said to the crowd... Who, uh, Sorry, Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. So it's very similar, and it's the same kind of, you know, Luke gives us the same progression of events. Jesus talks about, uh, you'll notice in the, in the previous passage in Mark that Jesus predicts His death, right? This is coming on the heels of Peter's great confession. Peter confesses, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then, you know, and then He says, okay, I'm, I'm going to be crucified. And Peter's like, no, 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 don't say that. And He goes, no, if you, don't, if you, don't, if you aren't part of this, then you're against me. If you don't understand that this is where I'm going, I'm going to the cross, and you don't have any place with me, you're, you're Satan. You're speaking from his perspective. And if anybody wants to follow me, they have to really follow me. They have to deny their own life. Follow me. You have to accept estrangement in this world if you're going to follow Jesus. And when it comes down to a choice between the world loving you and Christ loving you, if you choose the world, Christ has not chosen you. And he will be ashamed of you when he returns. Jesus says it himself. I'm not just inferring it here, but I think the author of Hebrews lets us see that and he lets that sort of, that sort of heavy thing dangle in the air. If you persevere by faith, then God is not ashamed to be called your God. But if you renounce and you turn away, then on that final day when Jesus comes to judge and deliver all his people, he will be ashamed of you. 
And that city that he's preparing is not for you. Big picture of this passage is that the Lord, the God, the creator of the universe is not ashamed to be called your God if you live by, his, by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. This theme of reconciliation and estrangement, it takes us right back to the gospel. All of us have been estranged from God by our sin. Why? Because God is holy. And God doesn't do the things that we do. The lying, the cheating, the stealing, the lusting, the murder in our hearts, whether it comes out in action or not. The selfishness, the self-obsession, the hatred of others in favor of yourself. It doesn't have to be visceral hatred of others. It can just be priority on yourself all the time. All of those things that we have all done come into this world doing naturally by our fallen state. Curse of sin hanging over us. But Jesus entered into that and he lived the life that we should have lived perfectly. Perfect obedience to the Father in all things, even in his thoughts. And then he died as a sacrifice. Appeasing the wrath of God. You know, all that wrath that's built up that God has been patient with. All that wrath that's built up because of our sin. Every bit of it fell on Jesus. I I was listening to, uh, Shia Lin had a commentary on that. And he said, um, a comment on that. Not like a commentary, like a book. Um, A comment on that. And he says, It's as if on that cross, as Jesus was carrying our sins, he fully absorbed the wrath of God. All that anger, all that righteous anger at sin. Some of our sin being mixed in there with the sins of all the rest of of sinful humanity. And he absorbed it all. He took it all. And when he died, it was finished. It had all been paid for. All that wrath was expended, exhausted. And when he rose from the dead in power, showing who he was, he guarantees us a resurrection as well. We have life in his resurrection. And like Paul, we can have hope that we'll be included in that resurrection one day. Totally reconciled to him. But... Jesus said also in the book of John, I'm going to go to John chapter 15. Um, thought I had a marker in there, but I must have dropped it. John chapter 15. Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If you find that you're estranged in this world, it's because Christ is in you. And I don't just mean like if you feel out of place, right? Tons of people go into, everybody here almost has been through high school. We all know what estrangement feels like. That's not what he's talking about. And even my example in the beginning was only a kind of a little picture, right? Because being a foreigner in a foreign land is not the same thing 
as loving God with all your heart because God poured out his wrath on his son instead of you and transformed you by that truth through faith that he gave to you, that's different than feeling out of place. Okay? That's different than feeling out of place. But if you have made following Jesus your priority, then the world is dead to you and you're dead to the world. You're dead to that sin nature. And you're alive in Christ forever. But I don't want to lose the warning either. I'm not going to go there now, but if you want to go to 1 John chapter 2, you'll see the warning that he gives. He says, don't love the world or the things in this world. Why? Because this world is passing away. And if you love this world and the things of this world, then you show that you're of this world and not of the Father. That he's not in you and that you're going to pass away with this world. So the question to ask yourself right now, the question that I need to ask myself right now is, am I loving the world or am I loving the Father? Am I loving the world or am I loving Christ? Do I want to make a home for myself in this world? House purchase and Hamtramck aside, do I want to make a home for myself in this world? Do I want to live so that this world loves me and treats me as its own? No! No, I don't. I want to leave you with this note of encouragement from Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just going to read the verses. I'm make one comment maybe. After he talked about the faith that was from God, this is what he says to a, a group of largely Gentile believers. He says, Remember that you formerly who are Gentiles by birth, called uncircumcised by those who, selves, who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, but without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, Jews and Gentiles, by which he put to death their hostility, which was our sin. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And what does he say? Consequently, as a result, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You are fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. We're going to be aliens and strangers one way or the other. Either you're an alien and a stranger to God. Or you're an alien and a stranger in this world. You get to choose today. Consider how you live your life. Do you love the world or do you love Christ? And I think we can all ask ourselves this question every day. Because faith is not a matter of, oh, did I say the right thing at the right time and to get ducked underwater? Faith is measured by perseverance. Those who persevere in the faith show themselves to have an authentic faith. Those who do not persevere show themselves not to have an authentic faith. All right? Uh, let's pray and then let's praise God in song. Uh, the, the song that we're singing today um, is called You Made Us Your Own.
Keep that in mind, that, that theme of reconciliation. We were estranged, we were alienated, we were hostile to God, but through the death of his son, he made us his own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this reconciliation that you have made through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the promise that when we were enemies of you, you reconciled us to the death of your son. So we have a greater expectation that you're going to bring all those things to pass now that we have been made your own. Father, I pray that you will help us to be an encouragement to each other uh, as we uh, seek to persevere, that you will be our strength uh, working in us through your Holy Spirit, working in us through the promises that you give us, encouraging us daily and helping us to be an encouragement to others daily. Father, also use us to display your love to this world that hates us, even when it hates us. Help us to be able to see day by day those ways in which we need to separate from the world and draw near to you. Those are ways in which we need to stop loving the world and start loving you. Lord, we thank you that you're bringing this to completion. Help us to be an encouragement to each other and bring you much honor and glory. Thank you that you are not ashamed to be our God. In Jesus' name, amen.